Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Stephen Coveney so aptly said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We've talked about this before. This is a great saying. I wore this mic for an hour last night. It never popped once. I don't know. It doesn't like Sabbath mornings anymore. We'll see what happens here. But the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Kind of sounds like gibberish until you start realizing there's a lot of truth in this. If you want to be the best taco stand in Los Angeles, don't start selling sushi, right? Stick with the tacos. If you want to be the best plumber in Downey, don't start fixing bicycles on the side. Concentrate on the plumbing, right? And the same thing is true for church. We should concentrate on the main thing. Question is, what's the main thing? What do we concentrate on at church as the main thing? So let me hear some ideas. This is in the interactive part. If you're online, you can type keys and type there. You're here. Yeah, shout it out. What's the main thing that the church should be doing? Jesus. Jesus. Doing what with Jesus? Enhancing our relationship with Jesus. That's a good one. What else? Serving. Okay, obey and serve. Acting more like Jesus. Okay. Any others? Sharing Jesus, telling others about Jesus. I didn't put all these verses in your notes, but we're going to run through a couple real quick. Let's just see what the Bible says real fast. Acts 2, 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Well, there's four things right there. The apostles' teaching, biblical teaching, Fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Romans 12.10 says we're supposed to honor one another and be devoted to one another. Romans 15.14 says we're supposed to instruct one another. Ephesians 4.32 says be kind and compassionate to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says encourage one another. 1 John 3.11 says love one another. Wow. There's a lot of stuff we got to do. Well, that's not all. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. So the church is supposed to be a place that promotes prayer teaches prayer, practices prayer. 
course, uh, last week, Pastor talked about the Great Commission. Go. Make disciples. Tell other people. Be a lighthouse. 1 Peter 3.15 says, The church is kind of supposed to promote the gospel and prepare its members to proclaim the gospel. There's a lot of stuff. That's why you see sometimes churches, different churches kind of have different ministries, different outreaches. They're kind of known for different things sometimes because certain ones of those things resonate more with one congregation than another. That's fine. That's good. But these are the biblical things that they tell us we're supposed to be doing. And we're going to be flushing that out more about what is the mission of our church. But I'm not going to be talking about that too much today. We're going to keep working through that. We've been talking about it a little bit. What I want to talk about is at some point in time, do you see what I see? Do you see the vision that the church sees, that the pastor has, that God has for us? Right? The disciples had a hard time getting on board with Jesus's vision for the kingdom of heaven when he was here, right? He told them a couple times, I'm going to die, but I'll come back. And even after it happened, they didn't get it. They seemed to forget all about it. They went back to fishing. They didn't see and understand the vision. And so you've got to be able to see and understand the vision. And you have to know what the vision is going, you know, what the vision is, and are you going to be a part of it? Because I believe that that is the most difficult question for the modern Christian. People make a decision to follow Jesus. People make a decision to be Christ followers. But sometimes it's hard to make a decision to risk something and now be a part of the mission. It's one thing to say, yeah, I follow Jesus, I read my Bible, I pray, I gave some money in the tithe, you know, I, I'm good. It's another thing to get up and walk around the neighborhood on a prayer walk or invite somebody to church or to a small group or something, right? And so this decision to be involved in the mission of the church is a, one of the most difficult decisions. Anybody ever been repelling like four of us, okay. The rest of you all, your assignment this week. No, I'm just kidding. Repelling is great fun after the first step. <laughs> all the people that went are going, uh-huh. The first time I went repelling was at school, and we had a, a three-story tall brick wall with no windows in it, perfect for repelling. Flat roof, three stories of smooth brick. And so, flat roof, three stories. And you're standing up here on top, and this is great. you got a rope tied in. You're kind of standing at the edge, looking over, you know. It's three stories down. Three stories looks a lot taller, by the way, when you're on top than when you're on the bottom. I don't know why that is. But there you are. The first step, you've got to go from here to here. And that's a very difficult first step. 
Because you can't just step off, because if you do that, you kind of go down and you bang your face on the wall. And, you know, that's no fun. So, you know, you got to keep your feet on the wall and rotate over and trust the rope and trust the person that's holding the other end. Now, the first time I did this, I happened to be in high school. So, you know, my jerk friend is the one holding the rope, you know. And I'm like, yeah, see, I don't trust you any farther than I can throw you, right? But once you get over this edge and you go bouncing down the side, it's great fun. It's a blast. You can bounce down the side and swing, and it, it's fun. And after you've done that, you race around back up because, yeah, I want to go again. That was good. But there were some people in the class that never could go from here to here. They just couldn't do it. It was too hard. And sometimes that's the way we are with the mission of the church. We're all great. We're all standing here. And some of us are willing to do this and be involved in God's. And some of us are just like, it's too hard. Can't do it. And we miss out on the blessings that God has for us. I tried to do this sermon today without talking about the story. I honestly did. I worked on it, and then I gave up, and we're going to talk about the story anyway, so I'm sorry. Mark chapter 5. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. This is the story of the demon-possessed man who lives in the tombs. Now, this story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in John. But Mark kind of gives us the most details about this story. Um, and this is a great story. I know we've talked about it before, but we're just going to have to talk about it again. I'm sorry. I tried doing this sermon without it, but it just didn't work. A little bit of backstory before we get started. In Mark 4, Jesus is preaching, and it's been a long day preaching and talking to the people, and the crowds are crushing, and he says, let's get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side and get some rest. Tired. You ever been somewhere where the crowds are all day? Maybe you went to some kind of job fair or the mall at Christmas time or whatever, you know, and the crowd's just crushing. It's exhausting, right? And Jesus and the disciples are tired. So they get in the boat and they start going across the lake. And you know what happens in the middle of the night? Big storm comes up. And the boat is, the disciples are fighting to keep the boat afloat. It's going down. They're bailing water out, trying to save it. Jesus is sleeping. He's so tired. And eventually they wake him up and say, um, we're going to die. Maybe they were a little more um, excited than that about it. And Jesus is like, what's the problem? And he gets up and he calms the storm. And the disciples are all like, whoa, what was that? This is pretty early in Jesus' ministry. They're kind of still getting to know him a little bit, you know. And, dude, the weather listens to this guy. You know, it's one thing to heal somebody, you know. We, we've seen that. But the weather? I mean, this is, this, is, this is spectacular. And so the rest of the night, I don't know if Jesus goes back to sleep. I just have these men, Jesus like, all right, goes back to sleep. And the disciples are all left going like, what just happened? And they finish crossing the lake. And they get across the lake in the morning. 
And they come in, and now we're going to stop the story here. How do you feel right now if you're one of the disciples? What are some of the things you're feeling? You're in awe of what happened. You know you're okay next to Jesus. You're tired. You were up all day yesterday working. You've been up all night sailing. You almost died. You're wet. It rained. It stormed. The boat was swamped with water. You're wet. You're tired. You're probably cold. It's the morning. What kind of mood are you in? Not in a very good mood, right? Let's find a place, build a campfire, have some coffee, and go to sleep. Tired, right? And so they come out onto the shore, and all of a sudden, coming down out of the tombs is this demon-possessed man. And it's hard to describe what this man would have been like. Okay, And I don't want to be unkind here, but imagine your worst experience with a homeless person that was maybe not quite all there, and they're ranting and yelling and screaming. It's kind of scary, right? Most of us don't run towards that person to see how we can help, right? We're like, I'll just around over this way and, you know, give them all the room they need and continue on my way. And so here are the disciples. They're tired, they're wet, they're not feeling good, and here comes this guy racing down the hill, screaming and yelling at them. He's probably naked or nearly naked. He's got chains hanging from him. His hair's wild, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. The Bible tells us that he, he yelled in a loud voice. How do you feel as one of the disciples? This day just keeps getting worse. <laughs> now what? Right? And I imagine if I'm one of the disciples, I'm looking at that guy closing the gap, and I'm looking at Jesus, and Jesus is probably just waiting. And I'm the disciple, and I'm looking at him, looking at Jesus, looking at him. He's getting closer to Jesus. I'm just going to stand back here behind Jesus. The guy that can stop the weather, right? I'll let him deal with this, and I'll stand back here, right? And this guy comes screaming up, falls on his knees, and yells at Jesus, What are you doing here? It's not the appointed time. Wow. Some greeting. And Jesus says, who's in there? He says, we're a legion. Now, I don't know if that was an exact number, but a legion in the Roman army was 6,000 men. I don't know if he had 6,000 demons in him or not, but there was a bunch of them. That's got to be really I mean, one demon, it's bad enough, Right? But to have a mob, maybe 6,000 of them, this guy's having a really rough time. And so we know the story, right? Jesus commands him to come out, right? And the, 
the, the, the demons say, let us go into the pigs. And so they go into the herd of pigs. The pigs runs down off the cliff into the lake and drown. Now, I always thought pigs could swim, right? Pigs are fluffy. Fluffy floats. I always had this picture of pigs bobbing around out in the sea, but I guess they all drown. I don't know what happened, but they all drown. And the pig herders all run into town to tell everybody what happened. And so everybody in town comes running out to see what's going on. And when they get there, the man is sitting there, he's dressed, he's in his right mind, he's having a conversation with Jesus, and the Bible tells us the people were afraid. Now, I don't know what they were afraid of, Maybe the demons coming back. Maybe more financial loss. I, I don't know what they're afraid of. But they're afraid of something. And they tell Jesus, please leave. Now Jesus doesn't hang out in places where he's not wanted. So he begins to round up the disciples. Now if you're the disciples, you'll be going like, really? We just got out of the boat. I, I don't want to get back in the boat. I want to lay down and go to sleep. And they begin to pack up to leave. And this man wants to go with Jesus. And look what it says in Matthew, or sorry, Mark 5, 19 and 20. Jesus says he doesn't want him to go. He says, go home to your own people and tell them what? How much the Lord has done for you or what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, that was an area of ten cities, Deca, ten, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Everybody was amazed. They knew who this guy was because you couldn't bury anybody out in the tombs because this guy would harass you. And at some point, they got together a big gang of guys and went out and gang-tackled him and tried chaining him up, and he broke the chains. This guy was public nuisance number one, right? They knew who he was, and all of a sudden, he's in his right mind. Now, how much did this guy know about Jesus? We got a lot and we got not much. He knew who he was. He what? He feared him. Right? He knew that my life was a mess. I encountered Jesus who had mercy on me, and now it's not. That's all he knows. Right? He didn't go to college. He didn't go to Andrews to the seminary to get his MDiv. Right? He didn't go to six weeks of Daniel and Revelation. He didn't even go to any of Downey's best small groups. Should have. He doesn't have any training at all. And he went and told the people in 10 cities... And all the people were amazed. Now, sometimes we think that this guy was, you know, it was just magical and everything worked. And the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say everybody became a Christ follower. 
It doesn't say that everything went perfectly smooth for this guy. It just says the people were amazed. And I bet some of them were, became Christ followers. We know that when Jesus comes back to this area later in his ministry, they don't ask him to leave. They're ready for him. And I'm sure some people didn't. You know, they're like, well, dude, I'm glad that worked for you, but that's not for me. Right? That was bound to happen. Everything didn't go perfectly for him. So what do we learn? You don't have to know everything to start. Sometimes we're so worried. I got to know everything. Somebody could ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Guess what? You can't know everything. <laughs> That's unknowable, right? There's no way to know everything. You can't. Somebody at some point in time is going to ask you a question you don't know. You're like, you know what? I'm going to have to look into that and get back to you. Okay. I bet your friends don't expect you to know everything. Because they don't know everything. Right? In fact, you only don't have to know everything. You already know what you need to know. <laughs> My life was, I encountered Jesus, and now my life is. That's all you need to know. And we've all had that happen already. That's why we're here. Now, our story may not be as cool as this guy's, right? Man, you wouldn't believe I had 6,000 demons in me. That's a pretty wild story. Most of us don't have that. But we have something. I was, I encountered Jesus, and now I am. Right? It's When it's personal, it's engaging, right? It's engaging. Because sometimes things don't always go right. It was the 1940s, okay? Just a few years ago. Actually, before my time. I know you guys find that hard to believe, but that was actually before my time. So the 1940s, and IBM had survived the Great Depression and the World War by banking on there being a demand after the war. And they had kept everybody employed through these events, just continuing to make IBM business machines. And every nook and cranny of their warehouses was stuffed full of equipment and machines. And they just kept working and building stuff, and they were ready. And they needed to sell some of their stuff. The president or CEO, um, they didn't call them CEOs back then, it was president, um, Thomas Watson Sr. was in trouble with the board. And the board kind of wanted to get rid of him because they needed to sell these inventories and make some money. And a very large government bid was coming up. It was close to a million dollars. Now in 1940, a million dollars, that was real money. You know, nowadays you're like a million, it's... That's nothing. We just spent 10 billion, 10 billion on the James Webb telescope. 
<laughs> okay? So a million's not much anymore. But 1940, a million was a lot. And it was coming up, and IBM Corporation and Thomas Watson Sr. needed this sale. But they didn't get it. There was mistakes made, and something happened. And that day, the sales rep showed up with an envelope and put it on the CEO's desk with his resignation in it. Thomas Watson doesn't touch the envelope. And he looked at the salesman and he said, tell me what happened. And the salesman began talking what happened. And he said, this is where we made a mistake. We should have done this instead of that. And this is where, you know, we could have maybe done this. And he got to the end and he said, I'm sorry. I know that we needed this sale and what it means to us in the company. And I'm sorry. But thank you for letting me explain what happened. And he gets up and he turns to walk away. And Thomas Watson meets him at the door and hands him back the envelope and says, why would I let you leave after I just invested $1 million into your training? Pretty powerful. I hope my boss is that kind if I ever make a million-dollar mistake, right? But now you have learned something. Things are going to go wrong. Things are going to happen. It's not always going to be roses and sunshine. And so many times when the things go wrong, we want to quit. And if things go wrong when we're working in ministry and we say, you know what? This must not be my spiritual gift. I'm going to go find, you know, what my spiritual gift is. I know it's not this. Just because something happened. But maybe it's just training has happened. Maybe you've gotten a little more training. You know how not to do it a little bit better. Amen? Think about the disciples. How many times did things go wrong with them? Remember when they couldn't heal the boy that has the demons in him in Matthew 17? They messed up. They wouldn't let the children come see Jesus another time. They messed up. They argued with each other. They messed up. Paul has problems with some of his associates on missionary journeys. It was a mess, right? Everything doesn't go perfectly all the time. That's no reason to quit. That's the reason to say, all right, <laughs> I learned something. I'm going to do that again. I just thought of a story. Um, when I was in high school, we had a baby raccoon for a while, for a summer. We got him when he was tiny, fed him with an eyedropper. Um, this guy was born and raised in the house, knew us. Raccoons are really curious <laughs> all the time. And he loved those little things on the wall with the holes. And he wanted to stick his little claw in there and see what was in there, you know. And we used to 
chew him away from that. One time he was quicker than us, and he got his little in that thing, and I swear to you, it was just like the cartoons. Hair, he was shooting across the room, takes off running right through the screen door, left the hole in the screen door, the shape of him as he's running out the door. We didn't see him for three days. We were worried about him, but we figured he ran so far, it took him a while to walk back. But you know what? He never put his finger in that little hole again. Okay? You learn from stuff. Say, let's not do that again. Okay? And that happens to us as well. Right? Second thing we learn is things aren't going to be perfect. Things aren't going to be perfect. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be issues. That's not a reason to quit. That's a reason to just say, I've learned something. Let's not try that again. Let's keep going. We can make progress, right? Amen? Thomas Edison said when he was working on the light bulb, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 things that don't work, right? But while we're finding 10,000 things that don't work, we got to try and find something that does work. Amen? I mean, it's okay to find things that don't work, but the ultimate goal is to find something that does work. HMS Richard Sr., and many of us recognize that name. He was an Adventist pastor here in Los Angeles in the 1920s. He preached at a very small church. This was not a rich church. It was a small little church. I think it was over kind of in Compton, over that way. A little different neighborhood in the 1920s than it is now, but that's where he was. And radio is hitting the American lifestyle in a big way in the 20s. Most people have radios or are buying radios. You can even get a radio in a car. Now, you remember, this is at a time at home when radios were, you know, like about this big. And to get one in your car, you know, you were all that, right? And HMS Richards had a dream about radio. He said he used to joke that, you know, hey, there's a million people born every week. How are you going to tell all those people? And radio was a way that he thought they could reach people. Now, this was not, (laughs) you remember at the time, radio was new. People were like, you can't preach to nobody. That's kind of weird, right? And radio, there was shows on the radio that did not have Christian values in them. They were rude and crude, right? Why would we want to be found on a medium like that? Sound familiar? People talk about that, about the internet sometimes, right? So he began trying to raise money to be on the radio. And he, you know, back in the day, they wore suit jackets. And he said, you know, afterwards, you can put a little something in my side pocket, my suit jacket. And after church, he'd find coins, sometimes dollar bills, Sometimes eyeglasses, gold teeth, kind of disgusting. But he'd find stuff 
put in this pocket of people who believed the vision to be on the radio. 1929, they were finally on the radio on KNX as a guest preacher, and he did a couple sermons there. And then he, he kept working at it. And eventually, he was on the radio on his own show, full-time. 1937, the voice of prophecy was born. In 1942, he had his first coast-to-coast broadcast with 89 radio stations. Today, we have Faith for Today, Voice of Prophecy, It Is Written, Breath of Life, um, Life Talk Radio, Jesus 101, Adventist World Radio, some Spanish stations. I mean, it's... We're all over the world. And if I went to the general conference and I said, we spend too much money on radio, we should quit doing that, they laugh at you. Say, you know, we'd like to spend more money on that because it works. We have TV programs. Now we're using the Internet, you know, and it's tempting to say, well, how do we get on TikTok and make a difference for, for Jesus on TikTok. Because it's easy to say, you know, there's some bad stuff on TikTok. We shouldn't be there. And I'm not so sure that that's what God would have us do. We need to continue to innovate and to look for things we can do. So the thing we learned from this is we got to continue to innovate. we got to continue to try new things. Be on TikTok. Be on TV. Do live streams. I don't know what it is, but we can't do ministry the same way Paul and the apostles did the ministry 2,000 years ago. Right? It just won't work. Now, there's nothing wrong with going around and talking to people, but we can't get to everybody that way. There's too many people in the world. we got to start using the, the technology that we have, the radio, the TV, the Internet. Did you know that this year, TikTok, for the first time ever, was more popular than Google? Google has been the most popular website on the Internet for 12 straight years. And this year, it's TikTok. Okay? we got to figure out how to get on there and to make a difference. Not just post a video that nobody watches. That isn't getting it done. How do we post a video that, that meets people? And some of you may have ideas from that. And some of you are looking at me like, what is TikTok and what's he talking about? Okay? But we have to figure out how to do this, how to make a difference, how to reach the people in our neighborhood. How do we do that? I have a couple of things I want you to consider this week for our uh, reflection. I know pastor's been giving you one question. I gave you three. Sorry. The substitute's not supposed to be harder than the main teacher, right? Are you willing to risk something and be involved with the mission that Jesus has left for us? You're going to have to risk something. You're going to have to talk to people. They might say No. You're going to have to put time and effort into it, and it might not work. Like, there's something to risk. Are you willing to do that? What's holding you back, and how do you overcome that? Sometimes something's holding us back. We're too busy. I got a lot to do. I'm busy. 
We're all busy. You're too busy for God? Imagine when it was time for Jesus to come down to the earth. You know, I'm a little busy. Right? How busy are you? Last one. How would the church look if we were all involved in the mission of the church? Everybody was involved. Maybe some people are making really cool TikTok movies, videos. Some people are doing something else. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to preach to be involved. Because some of you are going like, I can't do that. That's okay. Right? Maybe you're the, the person in charge of cutting out crafts for children's uh, Sabbath school. You never have to come up front. Maybe you're, um, you know, you help in the office or I don't know, there's 10,000 things we can do. Maybe you come and help take down Christmas decorations. Five o'clock. How would it look if we were all involved? And then our challenge today is what ministry can you help at church? How do you get from standing on that edge to taking that first step and being involved and then enjoying the blessing that God will give you because of that? What ministry can you help with at church? Something to think about. Like I said, you don't have to always be up front. You don't have to teach Sabbath school. You don't have to preach. You don't have to sing in the band. There's lots of things to do in the background. Maybe you can run the PA system. Run the camera that nobody's running here. Something. Be involved. Amen? I think when God asked us to be involved in the mission of what he had, the vision for this, for people. He did that for a reason. It wasn't because, you know, he was lazy. I mean, God's got the angels. He could have just snapped his fingers. The angels would have done it all. But there's a reason God wants us involved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we have this opportunity to be involved in the mission for you, that we can be involved in reaching other people for you. Lord, help us not to be scared. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be willing to put it out there and risk a little bit. Lord, you put everything out there for us. You risked heaven for us. You can't even imagine. Lord, we just ask that you be with us, that you give us courage that you help us free up our calendar, that you help us decide to take that first step, no matter how scary it is, and be involved. Be with us now. Keep us safe. Bring us back again. In Jesus' name, amen.